welcome to Brand with Podcast. I am your host, Ivan Estrada. In this podcast, we will be discussing all things branding and marketing, from fashion to design, real estate, entertainment, tech, philanthropy, and much more. Nothing is off the table. We will have guests from all over the world to give you a global perspective on branding and marketing. Our goal is to dissect as many branding and marketing experts to get you all thinking about your brand by providing motivation and inspiration for you. Thank you all for listening and let's roll. Welcome back. Today we have Kisan Patel on our podcast. Kisan is the CEO and founder of MA Science and Deal Room, which both look to optimize merger and acquisition processes with science and technology based solutions. He is the author of two books, MA Tactics and Agile MA, as well as the host of his podcast, MA Science. Kisan has been featured on Business Insider, CEO World Magazine, Forbes, and was a member of the Forbes Technology Council. Kisan is currently running his two companies and building his personal brand as an MA expert. So welcome to the Brand with Podcast. Kisan, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having me, Ivan. Yeah, absolutely. Quite quite the resume. I'm I'm so excited to be interviewing you today just because. So my background is from the accounting world. I was a CPA at a long time, and um, a lot of my friends were always interested in M and A. and And I remember back at USC, it was if you want to make money, you got to go into M and A. This is where all the smart people who understand numbers and trends and technology. This is this is where they're making their dough. So this is where you want to go. So tell me a little bit about like. How did this get started? Like what what inspired you to go into this industry? I saw a lot of money, big big digits. You know, when you're talking billions, I thought that was super intriguing. And this awe at the world's largest transactions that happen between the largest corporations in the world. And that that was the most fascinating thing. At a pretty early age. I think even in my I even I remember even a teenager because I grew up, my family was in the hospitality business and understanding and hearing them talk about buying, selling hotels. Uh, that was intriguing. But then in my early 20s, trying to make a run at a real estate career that evolved into more of a, an M&A advisory practice, that's where I found that obsession even growing further, just this interest in learning about companies, how they work, understanding their financials what that looks like, their business models. And it just got me interested in somewhat of a pursuit to find what's the best business out there to really run. And kept constantly looking at all these businesses and industries because it's just like job careers, right? When you're a kid, you get introduced to maybe 100, 200, something like that. But the real world, there's millions of job careers that you can have. I think business is similar. You're used to the stuff that you see when you walk around the neighborhood downtown and around the block. But in the world, there's millions of different kinds of businesses that um, you could potentially run that are uniquely different. And uh, yeah, it led to a career doing some advisory work. Recession happened. It was interesting getting in tech. Started a uh, software company with inspiration of these cool agile project management tools from the, the software space engineers would use to manage their productivity. And thought, why not something like that for M&A? So started the company Deal Room in 2012. And really focused on managing the due diligence of corporate M&A, that when you buy a company, you're asking for a lot of information and following up a lot of clarification questions. And they're doing all of this on Excel and trying to have a conversation. Excel isn't a fun thing to do. 
And in conjunction with it, because it's data sensitive, they would use these virtual data rooms. And these providers are super old school. I think even today in 2021, they still exist where they have this operating model dates decades ago when servers first came online and they would come to your office as a service and scan boxes of documents for your transaction so that you can put it on the internet and then have the other party not have to fly to your office to come look at documents. And they would charge you a lot. They would charge you per page. And today they still do the same thing. They still charge per page. So it's really, really inadequate and efficient just using Excel to manage these large billion dollar deals. And then these old school data rooms They still charge you per page when nothing, nobody's going to anybody's office. Like even employees aren't going to the office today. That's where you say, hey, there's a huge opportunity. So we just focused on that. Then we soon found more problems to solve. The next adjacency is integration problem. After you buy a company, you got to align people around these goals so that they can be motivated to go achieve them together with the company they're acquired. If not, you get friction, you get uncertainty and people quit their jobs, they leave and they get pissed off. And that's a whole huge magnitude of change management that comes along with doing these massive M&A deals that needs to be managed. And there needs to be continuity between doing the diligence and integration. So we started solving for that. And then the big shots up top want to track their deals from the beginning and we created pipeline management. So the product evolved in this full lifecycle management solution. Along the way, I got into podcasting about six years ago, wanted to use it for more than just uh, getting some ears, but really built it around the mission of enabling the practitioners in the industry so they can share their lessons learned. And that was a, it was there to solve a bigger problem. The industry itself was so siloed it lacked best practices. It lacked proven techniques, real evidence into the work that people were doing. There wasn't any science. So hence we came out with M&A Science so we can do a series of these qualitative interviews and identify what are some of these proven techniques that really work in the industry. And we documented, created a whole bunch of different publications, blogs, eBooks, uh, two published books. And that's what evolved into a whole educational side of the business through publications, running an online academy, doing a series of events. And today we try to bring these things together because it's not just the technology, it's not just the practices, it's a combination of the two and really try to uh, operationalize them within these companies through the experience and expertise. But everything M&A, all things M&A, it's, it's a complex thing, it's, it's huge. And yes, uh, you're pretty much building a brand. I mean, you're building your brand of M&A with everything that you're doing from what you said from the podcast to the courses, because usually, I mean, in the M&A industry, like you're probably the first of, of your kind that I've heard of of somebody doing this. And I thought I was like, wow, this is really cool because this is you're kind of finding and cutting out a niche in your own market so that you can obviously expand. But you're building this brand in ways that I feel like the people who've come before you didn't do, right? I, I think they've done it with one single thing in mind. They built a brand for, we're going to sell data security product. We're going to sell our consulting expertise. And we're building a brand around the capabilities we can help our clients create. So a lot of the consulting firms like, hey, we'll, we'll take that off your plate. We'll do that for you. Um, here's a, a technology tool that'll create some productivity. But we're taking the practices, the tools, and, and really putting it together to say, let's, let's help you create this unique capability to solve these problems. And I think that that's, it's, then it's, it's, it becomes endless. It's not one little thing that we're going to stay focused on. We're continuously striving 
on our craft and perfection of getting good at optimizing an M&A approach. That when we do these deals, there's still this fabled high 70, 80% failure rate. People aren't good at it. They just, whatever it is, a lot of people see the big numbers flying and they want to put their hand in there and get as much as they can and they're out. They're not early in this craft of, of getting good at it where you can maximize the value. And it's really, really hard to do that. So many things that can go wrong, <laughs> a lot of different things. And to build that competency that you can buy an organization with this vision in mind of how you're going to create value, be able to align all the people, have them strive through these painful changes that need to happen, where you're literally peeling an organization back layer by layer, reattaching it on another organization. Obviously, a whole variety of strategies and circumstances around this, but it's, it's and be able to put that together and create this immense amount of value, do it again, keep doing it and grow your organization in a very strategic way where you're doing these acquisitions for healthy growth, for increasing capabilities, delivering more value to your end users and customers. You know, in your business, like how do you guys, how do you decide, okay, is it a better idea to merge versus maybe just acquiring? What goes into that process and that thinking behind that? I don't believe there's a thing as merging. You're acquiring. When two companies do an M&A deal and it's an acquisition, one management team takes control of another a- a management team. There's no, we're just going to so merge these together. Takeover, yeah. So in, in some way, I, I look at the term merged merger today as a, a PR slang term where they try to make things sound soft and fuzzy to the public. But in the real world and in industry, there is no such thing as a merger. But I, I think the market's that, even getting wise to that. That makes sense. You're pretty much acquiring a new company when it comes to like branding, right? Like how do you how do you brand the the culture and the people and the mindset and the values? How does that all work? Oh, uh, I guess where you, you where you're setting out to do, where it's important to have that that 10, 20 year vision, the long game on what you're trying to do. I looked at this industry as a massive opportunity. It was highly inefficient. Like billion dollar deals are still managed in Excel today. I don't know. There's like no more efficient, inefficient way than that to run That's a billion crazy. dollar deal. Yeah. So the bar is really low. There's just so much value to create. And we started doing it with software. Then their practices are there. When we look at corporate M&A, it's relatively new. It's not like medicine or accounting where there's hundreds of years of, uh, of learnings behind it. Um, this kind of stuff sprung up in the last, you know, five, six decades. So there, there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of problems, things to, to figure out, that the real practice side. So we've been actively going through and building that part out. Yeah, there's just a lot. When you see all that and know that there's so much opportunity, I think, I, I, you know, just kind of like that's just being the biggest driver. It just motivates you to know that there's, I think when you get to it, you just keep identifying more, more problems, more opportunity. And you know, there there's a lot of room for you to grow. But then you're, when you look at what you're ultimately trying to do, it's not just take this product out to market. It's, it's building a capability, this expertise, this unique expertise that we can drive this level of efficiency and we're delivering it as a service to these corporations to help them build their in-house capabilities of doing M&A. Because they're it's the largest transactions they do carry the most weight and value. And if you can take it from a high risk, a chance to lose a lot of value versus making, lowering that risk and increasing the amount of value you extract out of a deal 
with a time frame to realize value in those deals, that creates tons and tons of value. And that's where, um, that's where I think that's where the company comes from and why it's focused in that area. So a lot of our listeners are, I would say, like on the younger side, you know, a lot of college students, younger uh, professionals, like in order to do what you do, what are the skills necessary that are needed in order to be successful in the M&A business? I, I would say there are fundamental skills that you probably need to be successful in pretty much everything in life. It starts with having a discipline, a learning pattern and, and empathy. Um, but, you know, disciplines, the fundamental is that you have the ability to get comfortable doing the things you're otherwise uncomfortable doing. If you're not, then that's not, that's not going to cut it. You, you got to constantly develop yourself and skills in many different areas and whether you like it or not, but it's that, that you need to have that. You'd be able to be so objective about it. If that's the path you want to take, then you need to do all the things that you need to do. You need to commit to it. You can't be the person that gets up in the morning and rolls around in bed, you know, for a half hour or whatever. You got to snap up and know it's time to play the game and be at it every day with that level of determination so that you can execute and make that consistent progress. You know, and you don't see it on a daily basis, but you have a driven mindset that you are after it uh, and committed with reluctantly, reluctantly, uh, relentlessly until you, you see those results and just, you know, don't give up along the way. I think the the learning pattern part is there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn that you have to have that appetite. I can't, I don't want to hear shit from somebody that I don't like to read (laughs) or give me an argument why reading's not good. That's like one of the best forms to learn. And if you're not willing to build a bit of a a discipline around that to have a, a reasonable reading habit, that's a whole channel of learning that you're losing out on. Then there's online stuff, Wikipedia and all these rich resources that are online. And then identifying subject matter experts, being able to go out there, go on LinkedIn, connect with SMEs, hit them up, let them know this is what you're trying to do. I want to learn from you. Let me learn from your experience. I see you did that. I see you worked on those type of deals. I'm trying to do that. I got this play in mind of this strategy. I want to run it by you to see, learn from your experience. And that, that you need to develop that learning pattern because that's important and how you can craft the skill to be able to not just say, I got to go take a class on that, be dependent on it, but you have these multiple fronts and channels that you process, learn information from that allows you to have a very comprehensive understanding of things in a very short period of time. Um, And then the last, probably most important is empathy because that's ultimately that what you need to do is connect with people and the better you connect with people, that's what allows you to really make things happen get the big opportunities, have the network, be in touch with people, be able to get to the areas in business that you want to get to. Empathy's being able to connect with somebody, make them feel felt, understand how they feel, understand why they feel that way. I, I think this when we have these meetings, we have this inherent nature to want to make a good impression. Think about all the good, smart things we're supposed to say, or, or maybe we got an agenda we're trying to drive. And instead, the what needs to happen is you have to put yourself in a very proactive mindset to learn and listen from the other person, enter that frame or interaction with assumption that you don't know anything or whatever you know is wrong. Really put yourself there so you can practically listen to the other person, understand what their goals, initiatives are, so you can um, 
put yourself to help them achieve those goals and initiatives. And that's what tends to push you along further versus the, I, I got the solution I'm trying to sell. That's how we work with our clients. We work with a lot of the large corporations like BP, Johnson Johnson, Emerson, Energizer. And we do it through learning about the problems, the biggest challenges they have, really understanding them from their perspective, uh, what impact it makes, and then <clears throat> getting aligned to help them solve and then overcome those challenges and meet their initiatives. Let me ask you a question because you brought out empathy. And uh, I was just having a conversation with a, another friend who's a fellow entrepreneur. And, you know, as a kid, he was told that empathy was seen as weakness, right? That you didn't want to be empathetic because if you wanted to be a CEO and someone powerful, you needed to not have empathy. You needed to, it was all about the bottom line. And, you know, now, you know, I'm a huge disbeliever of that because I, I feel that emotional intelligence and empathy are huge in any type of business that you're at. And especially as running a business like you as a CEO, do you think empathy, is this something that can be taught? Is it somewhere that, you know, is there a book that maybe, um, because I feel like personally, like I taught, I was taught empathy through my mother. My mother was the one who taught me through, you know, over and over through, I would say, life exercises and examples to be empathetic and to to be able to really connect with people and listen to people. Do you think this could be taught or is this something that needs to be worked on? It could definitely be taught. There's a good book Mark uh, Golston wrote called Just Listen. That's a great book about empathy in the context of business and personal relations. I, when it comes back to the executive example and decision-making, I want to clarify there's empathy, really caring versus making decisions based on emotions. And the latter you want to avoid. If you're making decisions based off emotions, that's not, that's not how you run a business. You got to make objective decisions. And there's some of these objective decisions can get tough when you got to fire somebody, but you got to be objective about it. Once you realize the decision you make and you act on it and you do it, but there's ways to do it that doesn't have to be bad. It's a net positive thing. It's positive for the organization to find somebody that's a better fit for the role. It's a positive thing for that person to find an organization they're a better fit for and can create more value for and be happier at. So it, it typically when you have it, it ends up being net positive for both sides. Now, again, it's a decision objectively we're making to terminate this person's employment. But as you approach the person, can you do it with some kindness and compassion? Can you talk to the person and be candid about it and saying, we, we came to make this decision because of these reasons. There's reasons in their performance where we felt that as an organization, we can go in the market, we can find somebody that would be a better fit for that, uh, that job and the responsibility. And likewise, and most of the time this happens, they open up saying, yeah, I wasn't happy with this. I don't like it, whatever. But hey, but we're, we're not here to put you in a bad spot. We're here to support you in that transition. You know, we're going to come up with some terms that allows you some time and breathing room to get out there, find that next opportunity, and we're going to support it. We're happy to write recommendations for the strengths that we found and so forth. And, and it's like, I, I understand that this is news that you didn't expect to hear, that it's throwing you off. And, and there's probably a lot of things for you to think about that, you know, you're concerned about the things you're going to impact your family and what you're going to tell them. And, and I, I know it's a lot for you to deal with. And I think if you can just get in and spend a little time just to understand the person, because if you don't, you miss out on so much, you know, you miss out on having good, healthy relationships when people are comfortable and confident to come speak up when they need to speak up about things 
when they need to come to you for help. You got to be able to do that just by understanding people. And I think if you can do that, even in the bad, like it ultimately comes out good. They could respect it and said, yeah, it's a decision. I get it. You had to make it. I did have to make it. And that's why I'm like talking you through it. This this is what it is. But I want to understand that it's not something that you want, but I'm here to support it. You know, I, I I get it. I want to spend the time to understand how it makes an impact on you, but I want to work with you on this and know I'm not just leaving in a dark spot. That's such good advice for all of our listeners. Like, I mean, you guys should play that again because I I just got so much out of that. Kison, that's amazing. I'm so interested in you and and how you, because you are doing so many different things. You're the CEO of two different companies and you're writing books and and podcasts. How, how do you have time for all of this? Because I, I, you know, I think it's when you're building a team, especially a company, it's, it's all about hiring the right people and then also having the right mindset. And I'm pretty sure you have a certain morning routine, but how do you do it all? Because you seem like you have so much going on, but you're doing everything at a very high level. Uh, it's prioritization. I think motivation and sort of underpins everything. As long as you're motivated to do things, you, you, you commit to it, follow through. That's uh, you sort of do that and manage yourself. But I, I think that's, you know, fundamentally, as long as you keep it going, you, you get, you're motivated in a way I explained to my daughter, I, I said, look, this desires the big driver. And I explained to her, I said, if you imagine you got like 10 people that are racing on a racetrack, she likes to run. And one person is on one end saying, Hey, I'm going to try my best today. Some of these other racers look pretty good, but I'm going to give it what I got and see how I do. And you got another person on the other end that's like looking around. He's like, under no circumstance where I let any of these people beat me, I'm going to win this race no matter what it takes by all means necessary. I'm going to give it 1000% of what I got. I have to win this. Um, Who do you think is more likely to win? And she's like, you know, the, the latter person, the person. I was like, well, why? And we get to the theme about is just desire. When you have desire, you tend to parallel that with effort. So the more desire you have, the more effort you tend to put in it. Not always true. But it's also, when you look at what extends from the effort is the results. And you put in greater effort, you tend to get better results. Wow. So having that real design, that's why they say that I always tell her was find what you love to do and be the best in the world at it. You know, again, if you're, you know, you're trying to be the best in the world. We probably don't love it that much. So find the next thing. And I think that's where a lot of those themes come back. Are you passionate about it and things, which is, it's, it's nice to hear, but it, there's some truth to it. Is it a problem that you really care about solving? You talk to these undergrad kids and they're looking at career roles and all these different career paths. Oh, put that aside. Let's think about what are the problems? Like you look around this world and everything in some shape or form, you can look at it as a problem to solve. You know, and like there's a restaurant. Okay, why is that restaurant there? Well, people need a place to hang out. People, somebody needs to get something to eat. They're hungry. Like every little thing, it's something solving a problem. So when you look at this world, what are the problems you're interested in solving? And that can lead you in some different ways of looking at things for potential career path forward. I like that advice. What problem is there out there that you that you want to solve? That's some good advice for anyone in college or anyone in high school trying to like figure out like what's, where do I, where do I want to work or do I want to start my own business or do I, I want to help out the environment? Is there a way that I can do that? That's great advice. And so Kison, tell me what's, what's like the five to 10 year plan. Maybe we're going too far into the future for M&A science and the deal room. <laughs> no, that's not too far at all. I, I anticipate on us being well over a billion market cap enterprise 
um, just given the growth that we strive for year after year after year, and to be able to be working with hundreds of large publicly traded companies, organizations, and having them build their models out for M&A, having this really defined market industry leading model that combines a framework and technology stack that allows these companies to operate swiftly on transactions and half the speed they typically do with far greater results where they can execute on their goals and and see strong measurable results from the deals that they're doing and see this industry really move forward because the current state is so highly inefficient that it's only a world imagine if you can make M&A more efficient where deals had positive outcomes, good experiences, and that real growth and innovation was accelerated instead of decelerated by the current uh, clunkiness of the system. Uh, I think we're going to see potential for technology to develop even faster. We're already seeing a, an exponential increase with the the COVID's impact in, in the world and how we've had to overcome a lot of new challenges. But it, with M&A evolving, there's a lot of these things that are happening at scale, more global transactions, and enabling those to happen with that level of speed and ability to execute. It's only going to amplify more of the innovation we'll see and, and probably see more of it happening with better fruition and, and uh, success in the market versus some of these grand deals you hear about, but then it just dies out and you never see that, that product they dreamed of come to market. Wow. I could, I could talk to you for forever. You, you have just so much information. Like my head is kind of spinning. I'm actually going to listen to this after our podcast, but Keyson, this has been so amazing. Is there anything before we end our podcast today that you would want our listeners uh, to know about you or your projects or anything that you would want to, uh, you know, advertise on our podcast today? We talked a little bit about M&A. If anybody's interested in learning about M&A, there's a lot around what it is, the various career paths associated with it. We have tons, over 350 pieces of published content at mascience.com. That's pretty much it. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much, Keyson, for joining me today. If you want to learn more about Keyson, you can get out to his LinkedIn at Keyson Patel, or you can follow him on Instagram at Keyson underscore Patel. You could also check out his website, KeysonPatel.com, for more information about his two M&A companies, Deal Room and M&A Science. All this information will be in the podcast description. Again, Kisan, thank you so, so much. I appreciate your time and your insight. And for all you guys listening, I hope this is one that you'll listen to two or three times just because there's so much amazing information here. And especially for those students, what problem are you trying to solve? And then you go from there. So thank you so much, Kisan. My pleasure, Ivan. Enjoy the conversation with you. Thank you all again for listening to this episode. For more information on branding and marketing, check out our ecosystem on brandwith.com. You can also find more tips by signing up for our newsletter that's not boring or by following us on social media. If you're looking to get featured on this podcast to discuss your branding or marketing needs, find out how to do so on our website as well. Can't wait for you to brand with us again.